0: you're listening to local bites the podcast of local futures and the economics of happiness in this series we feature critical voices and inspiring examples from the global movement to resist corporate power renew local place-based economies and preserve human and ecological well-being i'm sean keller francisco grau is a co-founder of feria verde an organic farmers market in San Jose, Costa Rica. It's one of the largest and one of the oldest organic farmers markets in the whole country, and it's been incredibly successful in recent years. As local food has grown in popularity, and citizens and policymakers are supporting place-based, small-scale agriculture in ever greater numbers, local food initiatives like Feria Verde have been mushrooming up all across the globe, with ordinary people like Francisco leading the way. Our associate programs director, Anja Lumbek sat down with Francisco to talk about how the market got started, how it's kept itself running and thriving for nearly a decade, and what lessons Feria Verde has to offer for people who might be thinking about starting a market in their own community.
1: What prompted you to start the farmer's market, and how did you go about it?
2: The, the initial idea wasn't mine. It was from a friend, Rolf. And very early on, he rallied a group of passionate people. So I was part of that first generation. The original dream was to create the most beautiful market we could dream about. We wanted to pursue a sustainable lifestyle in the city, but it was very complicated just to sort out all the products and find the organic farmers. That's how the conversation started. So we came together, we started meeting every week and just to start dreaming. So, you know, how does this look like? What is it that we want? And in that process, then we created a, a series of criteria. We called them values of the things that we were about. So we started saying, well, of course, we want organics and we want it to be local and to have proper scale. We want to promote heirloom seeds. And activism. We want to promote health and deliciousness. Basically, these weekly meetings, somewhere in between a meeting and a party. So it was very much about enjoying ourselves and just dreaming about it. And after a while of doing that, we felt the need for a bit of like structure to hold it. And we had no experience at this at all. So What we did was to contact a consultant. All the dreaming that we had been doing for months was somehow channeled into this like more NGO world structure. So we we had clear objectives and the values were very polished because our hearts knew. But then we had to translate that into something that was more presentable to possible supporters
1: and so from that stage where you had like a proposal how did you get from that stage to actually being on the street with a farmer's market
2: at some point in 2009 we felt the need for this given structure and then it was until 2010 that we opened the first market to do it We had already been contacting possible supporters to provide the money to do it.
1: You had some idea what it would cost to start.
2: Yeah, we we had an idea. The thing is that it was very expensive. So, there was one night that we went to an event where the ambassador of the UK in Costa Rica was giving a speech. And at the end, what happened is that I went backstage. and. I just chased the ambassador because I was truly moved by his words. And I told him, Mr. Ambassador, my name is Francisco and I have this dream of creating a a farmer's market and I would love to invite you to come to our office to talk about it. And he did, he came. We showed him like a model of the tents that we wanted to use. To host an ecological market, we needed ecological infrastructure. And tents usually are all metal with petroleum-based roofs and so in our mind it was like a contradiction. So we designed this bamboo and recycled bicycle tires and recycled billboard tents and we wanted the whole market to be hosted with these bamboo tents. So we did this little model with the sticks and masking tape of how would it look like and we showed it to the ambassador and he said well if you can have one in one week I'll consider." helping you guys. So, we ran, we build the actual tent, we invite him over for a second lunch. Well, Mr. Ambassador, we are already announcing the opening in three or four weeks, so we need the money right now to build the first generation of tents. And this wasn't the cost of the whole project, we, we thought, like, if we wait to have the full budget and have everything sorted, we'll never do it. So let's just jump in the water and and go for it. Anyway, that same week we received the check for $5,000. And in two or three weeks, we built the tents that we needed and opened. So at the beginning, we opened with about 20 something like vendors, including farmers and food artisans, restaurants and and a few handcraft designers. On the first day, I think we got like 500 people, maybe a bit more. And so for the first weeks, we had between 200, in a good day, 300 customers coming to the market.
1: And 20 stalls.
2: 20 stalls, yeah. And then that just kept on growing and growing. At the beginning we had organic farmers, food artisans, restaurants and a few handcrafts. Then that grew to over a hundred vendors. We also have a lot of like activism. My favorite one is one called Draw Your River. We put this big blackboard and we have kids drawing in colorful chalks how they would love to see the river because next to the market there's like a super polluted river so the kids go with their parents and draw their dream of the river so you can see like on the lower level all the kids uh, drawings but then on the upper level you can see all the parents drawings so in a way it is making people realize how bad the river is, and putting out their vision of what is it that we like, want. That initiative then created a group of people that were very passionate about the subject, and now they are pushing policy to improve the state of the river. We also have live music, a recycling center, which is very important in Costa Rica, because there are no recycling collection services pro- provided by the government.
1: What was the reaction of the local government and the municipality? Have they been interested in this market? Have they offered any help?
2: The hyper-local part of the government is very supportive and the hyper-centralized part of the government is very supportive as well. The first lady is a regular customer. The middle, the (laughs) in-between of the government We've had several issues. We have this policy of doing it in public spaces because we want to have the citizens reclaim the public space. It's part of like our ideological vision. The first one we do it in a sports center. So there was a bit of a conflict of interests because suddenly the sports center was flooded with people. I mean nowadays we have over 2,000 people coming to the Saturday market and about a thousand in the Tuesday market. So, some people got a bit upset. Sometimes there was like a football game and the place was packed and so it was inconvenient.
1: Is that in a place where it's easily accessible for people from in San Jose? Right
2: downtown in San Jose.
1: It's a a remarkable growth for any market to think that you'd go from having 20 stalls to, did you say 100? Over
2: 100. Over 100. I think think the last time I checked it was like 140.
1: And from having a few hundred people coming to the market to now having 3,000 a week. Mm -hmm. What has that meant in terms of new jobs?
2: 500 people are living of the market. The non-profit that runs the market employs between 20 and 25 people. We estimate that we create a yearly revenue for the vendors on the neighborhood of $3 million. What do you think of the
1: motivation of the people that come there and buy food and
2: spend time? I think there's a few that are really important. One for me is celebration. The vibe of the event is so fun. I believe that the most beautiful people go to this market. It's like a big party. You go there, you meet a lot of interesting people that you have like shared values, you eat delicious food, you replenish your food for the rest of the week, you get shared knowledge and become part of like this alternative community that is happening in, in the city. So we basically attract the tribe that is really taking care of health, sustainability and ethical commerce, which by the way, we don't like calling them consumers, we call them enjoyers.
1: Do you act as a platform also for sort of political change in other ways
2: well i think that we have a great political impact we're often invited to give our opinion on political issues like the government asks our opinion in certain matters of organic farming and food related things we are influencing A lot of leaders, corporate and political, at least I like to think that their experience at the market and seeing what's right and what is beautiful and the potential of things, that that might influence the way that they're making their decisions. Certainly GMOs is a good example. Like 10 years ago, nobody knew what a GMO was. And now... 90-something percent of the local governments declared themselves GMO-free zones. I cannot give credit to the market for this, but certainly I think we played a big role on the collective consciousness of these uh, matters. Same with organic, like nobody knew organic 10 years ago. Even when we started, it was pretty much unknown, and now anyone would tell you Maybe not an accurate definition, but they have a sense of organic means no chemicals. That's kind of the baseline.
1: What about the local food and the shortening of distance between producers and consumers or producers and enjoyers, as you say? Is that also something that people are considering more? The need for a more place-based economics?
2: Costa Rica is so small that even if it comes from right from the frontier, <laughs> It's quite local still. What is creating a consciousness is of like national food and the importance of offering dignified livelihood to small farmers. Costa Rica has lost in the last couple decades over half of its small farmers. And this is all a result of big agribusiness. Most of my farmers were in bankruptcy, practically bankrupt. And it was through this new market that they found a niche to sell their organic product and be able to honor their debts.
1: Have you quantified what the market has meant in terms of change in income for the farmers?
2: They went from being practically bankrupt to be able to buy new equipment. The most successful cases, they even expanded. They bought like the neighboring farm because they were using chemicals. So they talked to the neighbour and said, you know what, Like, I'll buy you this plot of land so I don't have to deal with your chemicals.
1: Are there any cases of farmers that have switched from conventional chemical-based production to organic production through the farmer's markets?
2: They all at some point were conventional farmers. Most of them got sick, seriously sick. And then decided to go organic without knowing where they were going to sell. And then that brought them to bankruptcy. (laughs) And it was then that they found out about our market and they started selling there and then come back to life. About five of them who were not fully organic, but not fully chemical either. It was because of the market that they went through the certification process and committed to become organic. Because our farmers are been so successful relative to conventional small farmers, I think that there's now a lot of small farmers seeing the potential and wanting to switch. And I know this as a fact because my farmers have told me the stories of how their neighbors are starting to ask them how can I do the transition? How can I become organic?
1: I heard about also at least one of your farmers that had been exporting melons and pineapples.
2: Actually, we have two two farmers that were exporters, Don Carlos and Don Jose Alberto, and they were fairly successful. I mean, they were alive at least, some good years, some bad years, and then they started selling at my market. At the beginning, it was like an outlet for that difference. If I cannot sell everything, then I I have a local outlet. But then they started valuing the regularity of the market. They said like, well, in a week it's not going to be a jackpot, but I know for certain that I'll sell 700 pineapples. It's not 10,000, but I know that I will sell 700 every single week. And on top of that, the local market also allowed them to diversify their crops. I think we're the only project that I know of that is making the farmers' children wanting to stay working at the farm instead of going to the city to have, like, bullshit jobs. They are learning permaculture, biodynamic farming, By intensive farming, biological pest control, so they are are getting an education.
1: How do you manage all that? How are you organized as an organization?
2: Yeah, so we have surprisingly only three people, not even on full-time. So this group is called the Burning Heart. And the Burning Heart is kind of like a director's board But it's different because it's open to any person involved in the market. Any producer, any consumer can come, just start to show up and show that they have a true passion and interest in having the market prosper. Many of the issues that arise and the strategies and everything are discussed in this weekly meeting. We have a director's board that follows all the legal structures and basically what it does, is it translates the decisions of the burning heart into legal language. On top of that then we have the operations team. That one is quite big. It's 15 people who put up and down the market, give maintenance to our Tents, tables, chairs, all the rest of the equipment that is... Are
1: they volunteers or are they paid? No, they
2: are paid with all the social guarantees and it's very formal. And that is now, after years of slowly growing and learning and making mistakes and also having the scale of the market capable of producing enough money to pay absolutely everything. Every vendor pays a rent, so they rent the space to sell at the market. With that, we create our income, and that's our only income, basically. Part of what they pay is for our team, every single product that is sold at the market, we've checked the ingredients, we've checked all the certificates, we've tasted the product to make sure that it's delicious, and that's a lot of work
1: and you visit the farms
2: we visit the farms we visit the kitchens it's a lot of work often if you want to comply with every single detail of the law it makes things almost impossible we are quite flexible especially at the beginning and then we give them like a route and we tell them okay guys you're not organic today that's okay you just need to get registered in the organic farming program and go into a three-year transition. Same with the food artisans. A commercially certified kitchen, it's impossible for a small startup. If you compare it to uh, high-end supermarket, which is conventional. is not organic. It's just conventional food. It's about the same price. I would say it's not accessible for a poor family. And that is something that is really sad because we wish that everybody had access to healthy and ethically sourced food. After hundreds of hours of debate, we basically concluded that we are selling at the price that is fair to sell because we are allowing the people involved in this to have a dignified lifestyle. They're not becoming millionaires, but they're doing well. So the problem is not that we're selling too expensively. I think that the problem is it's bigger. It's the systematic problem that we have people who cannot afford it.
1: And we have food that is being indirectly subsidised, all the chemical foods uh, and the fossil fuel industry and so forth.
2: That is the real problem. That's the part that should be solved. On a parallel thought, if you're organic, you're doing the things right. You're protecting the environment, you're protecting your employees, you're protecting yourself. What do you get from the government? the burden to be certificate, which is not only the bureaucracy that you have to go through, the fee that you have to pay yearly, but on top of that, the whole perimeter of your farm, you cannot use it productively. You have to have these huge barriers to protect yourself from the poison of your neighbors. It should be the other way around. If you're using chemicals, you should protect the rest of the people from your chemicals, you should be certified that you're using your chemicals responsibly and then you should pay a fee for the environmental damage that you're producing.
1: Yes, and which food would then be the cheapest. Exactly. If someone else were to do something similar, in another place, what would be your recommendations? What should they watch out for?
2: Find a group of passionate people, because that's gonna be the boat that will take you through the storms. To make it successful, you have to incorporate celebration all the way through. When you have problems with your core team, don't take it personal, man. The other thing that I would say is that there is a lot of people wanting to help from just normal people to other non-profits certain government officials certain cooperation agencies so reach out go knock on the doors and and present a good smile present a good story the power of a story is unbelievable
0: You can find links to Feria Verde's website and Facebook page in the description for this episode. If you haven't yet, check out our website localfutures.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and listen to or download other episodes. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and communities and write to us at info@localfutures.org if you have ideas for people or topics that we should feature on the podcast. Thanks for listening to Local Bites.